Bible tells us if we confess those sins, they will be forgiven. Please join me in this morning's prayer confession. God, our Father, who does not change or waver, we come in confession to you for our sins. We praise you for not changing in your love and grace towards us. We come to you feeling free to share with you who we really are because you know all that we have done and said and you still forgive us. We confess our inner thought life is not always pure and good. We admit some of the things we do in secret that you see and know. We realize they are wrong. We vow not to do them, and yet we get caught up in acting upon them. Praise you, Lord, for being consistent and giving us grace and forgiveness when we are so inconsistent and fickle. Through Christ we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of pardon this morning comes from Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Our guidelines for living this morning also comes from Isaiah 1, verses 19 and 20. If you willingly obey, you'll feast like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so.
all about? Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise that Jesus is our Savior and he's the fairest of them all. We give you thanks and praise you for the wonderful salvation that he's provided for us, for also the blessings of life that you have given to us every day, to live, to breathe, to have health, to be able to have homes with warmth and cars to drive. Lord, we are so blessed among the people, and we pray, Father God, bless these gifts that these people give from their hearts because they are so grateful for what you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen.
the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we come to you with so many grateful hearts and so much going on in our world. But to know that you're in control, and we just pray, Father, for those who are involved with these situations, Lord, that you'd be with them. We pray especially for the people of Croatia and for what's going on in Ukraine, Lord, and with Russia and all that, Lord. I just pray you give our leaders wisdom to deal with this, give our president and Congress and also the generals and joint chiefs of staff and wisdom to how to work through this and how to deal with this. Pray for those who are in battle, even the everyone that's armed over there that's fighting this battle. I pray for Putin to change his mind and back off. But Lord, we leave this all in your hands. You know that what's going on. We pray also for the issue with China and for Taiwan and then also for the Koreans and then also all these other hot spots in our world, Lord. I just thank you that you're Nothing catches you off guard and nothing surprises you, but we know that you're in control and that the best will happen for all those who love you and are conformed to your image. Pray also too, Lord, that you protect our soldiers and pray for our police and fire and EMS who protect us here in the homeland and all the violence that is going on in our world. I just pray, Lord, that you can help us as the church to speak to people into this world and that, Lord, that reform and change can come to these people uh, that are uh, living sick lives, Lord, who are trying to perpetrate and hurt people. We pray also too, Father God, for those in our midst who are going through difficult times right now. I pray especially for, it was good to see our sister um, this morning um, as she uh, had laid to rest her granddaughter. Uh, pray for Joyce, Lord, and her son. And also uh, the, um, the family, especially her twin sister who passed away, Lord, from choking. I just pray that you'll watch over that whole situation. I pray that you'll take care of her little son, too, who found her. Uh, give peace to his mind. I pray also, too, for uh, Blake and Kim and their daughter who had a, a seizure, Lord, and now they found that she's got brain cancer. I just pray, Father, that you'll work in that situation. And, that you can bring healing to it and remove that, that cancer from her body. I pray also for Lucille and, and also for Kay, who are both struggling with their health, and also too uh, for others that we know that are struggling in marriages and having difficulties with their mates. Some of them are having difficulty with their children. I just pray, Father, that you'll give them wisdom to look to the cross and find what's right and not what their own desires are to do. I pray also too, Father God, for those that we know that are battling addictions, people that are close to us. I think of Ryan and for Jordan. I think of um, David. I think of Eric and for Ricky and Mitch, these guys who continue to battle every day. I pray also for Dan. And I pray also for Don and Jeff who both have knee surgeries and one has had a hip surgery. I just pray, Lord, that you'll bring healing to their bodies and restore them to full health and strength. And Father God, there's other situations in our world around us. Hear our prayers as we lift them up by name. You know what the situation is. And you know, God, open up your word. Help us to hear us what we need to hear today and to follow you fully with all our hearts, souls, and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I grew up in a generation that in 1945, the war had come to an end, World War II, and the British and the American allies came to front with the Russians and Berlin was in the site. And what happened was East Berlin and West Berlin were divided. East Berlin was covered by the Soviets and West Berlin was taken care of by the British and the Allies as restoration came to Germany. But in 1961, the Soviets decided to build a wall 96 miles long to prevent East Germans from defecting to America or to the Britain or to Europe. And during that 25 year period, 5,000 people escaped. 200 were shot dead who were trying to escape. And then in 1987, at the Bradenburg Gate, a man by the name of President Ronald Reagan said to Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And by November 9th of, 18, of 1989, that wall was completely down. We can understand the wonderful freedom that the East Germans felt and how excited they were. And today, as we look at going into Canaan and how the Israelites went through the Jordan River and now are safely on the other side and how now they are going to face a formidable obstacle in their path to entering the land of Canaan. And Canaan, sometimes people believe, is what talks about heaven for us, but it's not. What, John, what God is doing in this passage is he's showing us what Christian living is like. And there are many obstacles, there's many barriers, there's many battles that we will face in our lives in Canaan. And that how we as Christians handle that in the power of the Holy Spirit and conquer those obstacles, those challenges, those temptations in our lives. And so what we find here is that God is showing us a pattern for our lives. And what we were on to say is, Mr. Lucifer, take down the wall. Because we want to walk with Christ in every day. And as we look at this battle, <clears throat> and we hear, you know, we've heard Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. But is that really true? The battle that was fought here was fought by God. And as we begin this passage, one of the things that God likes to put things in order and wants them right. He wants us right before we go into our battle zones and into the world around us. And one of the things that happened with Israel, they missed their markers. There were several things that happened. If you remember a few weeks ago, there were, we talked about how they were right on the edge, the precipice of going into Canaan. But how they... Listen to the ten other spies and not to Joshua, not to uh, Caleb. And so what they did is at Kadesh Barnea, they turned back towards Egypt. And because of that, God said, you don't have the faith, okay? A whole generation is going to drop dead in the desert, and that's what happened. Forty years later now, here we are with Joshua, and they had just crossed through the Jordan River. And what we find here is that the people were afraid of Canaan, the people of Canaan were afraid of them because they had heard how they had come through the Red Sea and God provided that for them. How they won two huge battles of strong superpowers in their day and age and yet only with sickles and knives and God gave them the victory. And now how they had come through the Jordan River and they're standing on the side only a few miles away from 
Jericho, the baston of their culture, and powerful city, fortress, and how they are going to take it down. We see as we read here, now it came about that all the kings of the Amorites who had been beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed and their hearts were melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. They were scared to death, these Canaanites. They had heard of the victories they had had. That's what Rahab, why she hid the spies, because she knew the power of God was in the Israelite people. She saw what God had already done and she came to faith in trusting the God of Israel because of what she saw. And now these people in Canaan are watching what God has already done. He's given them two more victories. He's given, broken through the Jordan River that was a barrier to them. And now they're on the doorstep of Jericho. But you know what? God wants Israel to get stuff in order. And it's interesting how God lays this out. He doesn't do it on the other side of the Jordan River where it would have been safer. God brings them through the Jordan River safely to the other side, right by Jericho in front of the enemies. And God says, we need to get you guys right. Circumcision. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel the second time. And so Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbath Halatha. And what he does, Joshua obeys God. Now it's interesting. Why would God do this? You see, covenants are made in the Old Testament. God covenanted with Noah. And we saw that he would not destroy the whole earth with flood anymore. And so what do we see? We see the rainbow as the covenant promise of God. Abraham is beginning the children of Israel back in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And what does he do as a covenant outside mark for them was circumcision. And so here we have this thing of circumcision that these people who were in the desert had had not been circumcised. And they had wandered in the desert and they didn't pay attention to it. And the circumcision was that you are marked my marked child of God, I own you and I love you and your elect and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bring you through whatever you are going to go through and you're going to honor me because we have this covenant together. And sure enough, he does that. Notice what it says, flint knives. These are cut from rock because they were sterile. And so all the men had these knives and they were circumcised. And what we find out, of course, you know, for adults to have this done to them, it's a very serious situation and it lays them up. We find this happening way back in Israel already when <clears throat> Shechem, who's, um, was met Jacob and Shechem's son who had a desire for Jacob's daughter Diana and one night he rapes her she didn't want to go with him but he took her and rapes her and when his brother Simeon finds out they come back and they say look if you guys want to have marriages with our girls then you all need to be circumcised and so that they did 
And Shechem's two sons had them circumcised. And then while they were still hurting on the third day, he, they slaughtered them all to pay for their daughter's rape. Well, this is where these guys are at right now. And God has them in the battle right now, ready for battle, but yet they're still wounded. And God does this. He wants them to build the trust in God so that they can trust him even at the enemy's doorpost. They can trust God knowing that they weren't going to be hurt or wounded by the enemy at this time. And what we find here is they develop their faith in that it's so easy to not trust God. And God wanted the children of Israel to trust him. And so he does this as an affirmation to them and that they don't need to worry about the threat. God is victorious. And that often God promises and gives us tests in order to deal with life. Here we see it again and again in the Old Testament. How many times do we find it in our, and it's a great victory for them. The great victory for them was to be, go through the water of Jordan and be safe on the other side. What does God do sometimes with us? Just like he did with Israel. Sometimes we have a victory. What does God do? He then puts another test on us to trust him. We see that in Jesus when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him in a dove. And right afterwards, he goes out into the desert to be tempted. Why does Elijah, who stands up against the Baal prophets, and yet right after that, he has to run for his life because they're after him. God wanted to show them that they can trust him. And sometimes God wants us, after a victory spiritually, that we don't become complacent. And that we trust him no matter what goes on in our life. And oftentimes God will do that. He'll give us another test after we have a great victory. Because he wants us to trust him and him alone. And not get complacent and rest on our own strength. Here the Bible says then after they were circumcised. That the basic reproach of Egypt was removed from them. That's what God did. The reproach was because they were ridiculed in Israel, in, in Egypt. They worked hard and were slaves. And God removed that oppression from them. And then here they are now in that Kadesh Barnea. They, they failed. And 40 years later, here they are again at the precipice of getting victory. And God then takes them and puts this on them to get circumcised. And then they can be ready to receive the Passover. The Passover that happened 40 years ago. When God present, protected all the male, first male children. By the blood being spreaded on the top of the doorpost. And the Egyptians firstborn were slaughtered. It was that protection that God now had lifted and put on them. To save them so that they can gain the victories now of Canaan. And that they could finally live in the spiritual life that God called them to. But it's amazing. First, God wanted to put things in order. And number one was that they get circumcised. All the men. So they would truly be committed to their God. Then, 40 years later, they have the third Passover. It's amazing. 
that deliverance that God had given them out of Egypt and how saved them and gave them the Passover. And this is only the third time, 40 years later, that they celebrate and give thanks for God not killing their firstborn. And the reason was is because they weren't circumcised. They didn't have the circumcision in that, that, that they were God's elect and they were part of God's family. And it's so easy for all of us to get so caught up in over the other things and oh, they were wandering around the desert. They didn't have time for God. It's easy to neglect and to wander spiritually because we're so busy in our lives that we don't have time for God. And this is a spiritual truth that God wants us to see that if we really, truly love our God, we need to spend every day with him, listening to him and not neglecting him and just using him when we need him, but rather to have him attend to our hearts and teach us what we need every day. You see, God is not interested so much in the physical surgery here. He's concerned about the circumcision of the heart, the surgery on the hearts of Israel. That they have this remembrance of an outward sign, but inwardly that they're changed and they're no longer following false teachings. That's what this whole idea of Gilgal means. It's a rolling back. It's a spiritual recovery. It's going back to being with God because of what they're going to face ahead of them and that they're going to gain victory over the Canaanites. This is what God wants to do in our lives. Oh, it's so easy to get discouraged. Why did they neglect circumcision? Why did they neglect the Passover? Because they were so busy and they were so discouraged and they were so down on themselves and in their life, they didn't have time for God. Maybe they were angry with God rather than following him and trusting him they just wandered, wandered here and there and everywhere. And it's easy to do that. What God does, he calls us, he calls us here, calls them here to trust him completely, to cooperate with him, lean not on their own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, all your ways. But you see, they got so caught up in wandering spiritually, they lost sight of it. They lost sight of the need for purity in their lives, even though God took care of them for 40 years. What's interesting here is right after they crossed the Jordan River, all the manna stopped. The manna was so tasty and nutritious and good. It's kind of like a Hertz donut with nutrition in it. And <clears throat> that's what they were being fed every day for 40 years. But now that they've gone into the Canaan area, now God tells them, this is your time now. You got to eat for yourself. You got to pick it up now and find it and harvest it so that you now can provide for your family. And then you can care for yourself and for your family and take time to nurture. I can remember as a child, my family spoon feeding me spiritual life, taking me to Sunday school, praying with me at night, reading the Bible with me as a child. But there came a point when Christ entered my heart and changed me radically. 
and maybe a whole new, different person. Maybe look on life differently and also live life differently. And you see, that's what we need to do as we every day go through our lives and ask ourselves the question, How, Lord, what should I have done here? Should I have done something different? How did I do with this person? Was I honoring you? And as the word speaks to us, that we feel it changing us and making us new. And that we follow his will. That we try to discern it for ourselves. A lot of times we just live our lives. Get up in the morning, shave, put on the clothes, go out to work, come home, that's it. Never talking with God. Now is the time God says to them, you have come to Canaan. Now I want you to seek the good stuff from me. But here's where Joshua. You know, we kind of laugh at that. Joshua, the great general, in fact, he was, in fact, a lot of the stuff George Patton would follow after Joshua and read Joshua, the book of Joshua, because he loved him as a general. But in this situation of Jericho, he wasn't the general, really. He wasn't the one in charge. Look who's in charge here. It says here, now it came about that Joshua was by Jericho. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, now here's a real, he gets right in his face. Are you for us or for adversaries? He got right in the guy's face. He said, We're, declare it now. And he said, no, rather indeed, I am the captain of the Lord. Uh -oh. And immediately Joshua falls on his face on the earth. And bowed down and says, what was my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord of hosts said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. Now what we have here described, folks, is a theophany. Of course, they call it a Christophany, which means Jesus Christ showed up on the scene. He's the commander, the captain here. He shows himself to him. And he says, I'm the captain of the Lord. You're not in charge here. And we see that it is Christ, this godly figure. Why? Because of two things. Number one, Joshua is flat on his face immediately. And number two, he says something that he said a long time ago to Moses, which is take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. We see this again and again in the Bible where Christ pre-incarnate before he comes to earth, shows himself in the Old Testament. We see it several times. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Inside the fire, the king looks in and there they are. But there's a fourth person with him. Who's that fourth person? It's a theophany. Christophany, Jesus Christ. Standing in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king is worried about these guys. And yet there they are, not burning up with Christ. And when they get out of the fiery furnace, they don't even smell like smoke because God was watching over them because Christ was with them. We see it again in Revelations chapter 19, when John is seeing the portal of heaven. And what happens he runs into this angel and he immediately drops to his ground. And he says, no, 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 no. 
Jesus says, don't bow to me. I'm only an angel. Stand up. We see it in the garden. When they come to arrest Jesus, what happens? The soldiers go to lay a hand on him and they go right to the ground. Because the power of Christ emanated. He was in control and he was showing us that they're not taking him on their will. He is going to let them take him. That was Christ. And here we have Jesus Christ standing with Joshua and telling Joshua, this is what we're going to do. I'm in control. This thing that this battle with Jericho is an impossibility for you to take. And this is one thing that we need to look at, folks. All impossibilities are not an impossibility for God. And he's showing him this. He says Jericho is, the the archaeologists tell him it was the best built place to protect the soldiers and the, 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 the city of Jericho because of the way it was built. It was an impenetrable wall until you bring God into this picture. And what we see here is Joshua doesn't merely be the general. He just listens and follows the captain of the Lord. He's willing to yield himself to the Lord and his will and wants him to lead them through the battle. Joshua knows those walls are impenetrable. And President Lincoln one time was asked, said, Mr. Lincoln, do you think that God is on the union side? And Lincoln wisely said, sir, I'm not concerned whether God is on my side or on our side. My greatest concern is that I'm on God's side because God is the one that does things right. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. That's what he wants from us, that we're willing to yield to him. They're willing to follow his way. And that what we find here is the power of God working. And that he's willing to do whatever this commander says. Is that true of us? How many times when we're hit with a crisis, do we have our list to tell God what we need to have done and him to take care of for us? Rather than say, God, what do I need to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to this? We sing that hymn, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. And then we say, okay, God, you need to take care of this for me. You need to do this for me. Sometimes God brings those things into our lives to mold us, to change us, to make us different. He doesn't want to change him because he wants to change us in the process. Yes, we prepare for battle. But in Proverbs it says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. But victory belongs to the Lord. That's where our victory comes. Joshua knew that. That's why he fell on his face before Jesus. That's why he said and was willing to take off his sandal. He was willing to surrender to Jesus. That's what we need to do in our own lives. You see, because once we surrender in our private lives, the public victories become ours. God will show the Queen of Scots, Mary the Queen of Scots, ruthless woman. 
But she feared more, she said, the prayers of John Knox than the armies of the world. When we get on our knees, folks, when we pray, that's when we can really follow God's will. He is going to change the battle. It's amazing. Joshua gets this. You're to march around the city once a day. Tell your soldiers to say nothing. It was like a, a two to three mile walk. They're probably wearing their Fitbits. And they're walking around. And then on the seventh day, 17 times, 19 miles around that city. And finally, they do the will of God. And the walls come tumbling down. That was the conquest. It was all God. And it began because this person won the victory, Joshua. In the quietness of his heart with God. And with this commander. This past week I was sitting in my office. And a, one of the young people from our school. I leave my door open because sometimes they have questions or they wrestle with stuff. And one of the little girls came in, she's in high school, about a year to graduate, and she said to me, Pastor Dave, you talked about this and dating and stuff in our class, and you talked about, you know, having friends who like to drink and do drugs, and yet you never participated on that. How did you do that? What happens when my friend light up a joint or take some pills? How do I handle that? What happens when my friends are trying to get me to drink? How do I stand up? And I said, well, you just follow what Jesus wants you to do. You know what's right. You know what your parents taught you, what God wants you to do. And don't do it. Yes, you may be ignored by your friends. They may make fun of you for a while. But you do what the Lord is right in the eyes of the Lord. You don't worry about that. God will provide for you in your social setting. You just walk with the Lord. I said that when I was in high school, some of my friends would mock me. It didn't matter. When I was in college, my roommate and I both were abstainers from alcohol. We were invited to the parties, but we became the bouncers. Because they were acting so stupid. And then they would say, oh, Dave, why don't you have a drink? I'm going to want a drink to be like you are sitting there acting stupid? I don't think so. I want to honor the Lord with my life. And the reason why they wanted me to drink is because they were acting stupid. And they wanted not to feel guilty because I wasn't drinking. And when you have the Lord as your focus... And I told her that. I said, there are going to be boys who are going to come along and want to take you to bed. You honor God with your body. Your body is the temple of God. You don't go do that kind of stuff. You save yourself for your spouse. You see, this is the battle. And it's following the leader of Christ. And then we see the conquest. 
Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel, and no one went out, and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. He's already given it to them with his king and his valiant warriors. And we shall march around the city and all the men of war circling the city once and shall do that for six days. And also seven priests will carry the seven trumpets and the ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day you shall march seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets and it shall be when they have a long blast of the ram's horn and when they hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. That's how we're going to do it. Could you imagine these valiant warriors who are waiting for a fight and they're here? That's what we're going to do? Can you imagine after the first, the third day, they walked around the city and are we going to attack them? No, we're just going to walk around. Can you imagine how frustrated they were? I waited the seventh day. And it's all going to come down. You see, it's so easy to do it the world's way. So easy to follow the world's way. Archaeologists tell us it took them four hours of marching each day to come from Gilgal to the city to march around and then go back home. And then on the last day, the seventh day, it took 14 hours for them to go around seven times. And they did it. They didn't rebel. They didn't shortchange God. They did what he wanted. And then the collapse came. They were willing to do it. You know, sometimes we sit there and we, the Bible tells us to do something in a situation. And we say, this is not making sense. This is not going to work. The pragmatic part of us comes out. But you see, God has his ways. They're not our ways. The Bible says that in Isaiah. And there's a reason why God does everything and why he's got things laid out like he does. He does the same for us. I was reading about, you remember in the 1980s there was a cool, uh, uh, a, um, a show that was called The Karate Kid? And Mr. Miyagi tells the kid that wants to learn how to do karate to go paint the fence. He paints the fence and keeps on painting. He said, what does this have to do with karate? And he says to Daniel, Daniel, the motions that you're taking and the muscles that you're using are building up for your use of karate. It didn't make sense to the kid. It doesn't make sense to us sometimes what God asks us to do, but he is in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. I know there are people who wrestle with, you know, why does God want 10% for my salary? It doesn't make sense. Not in this world, how much, and look at inflation and all this kind of stuff. And God is teaching us. I came to learn this early on, that God is teaching us how to not let money hold you, but you hold it, and you're a steward of it by God. And that's why it's so freeing to give. It's wonderful. And when this walls come tumbling down, uh, it's all the miracle of God. 
And God then says to them, take care of this miscellaneous business. He says to them, Joshua and the two men who spied out the land, go to the harlot's house and bring the woman and all that she is out of there as you have sworn to her. And so the young men who were spies went in and brought Rahab and her father and mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and all that was in it, and the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron, and they put them into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab, the harlot in her father's household and all that she had, Joshua spared. And she lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers from for whom Joshua was sent to spy out Jericho. You see, God takes care of those who have faith in him, and Rahab was cared for. The promises that God made through those spies, they went and got her. Remember, the red cord was out the window. That red cord was showing that the salvation of God was going to be on that household. It's not because she lived in the red light district, but it's called God. Love and blood was going to save her and her family. And so what God does is he sends them to deliver her. And notice they stay outside the gates of Jericho. Why was that? Because they had to have the men of her household circumcised. Then they could be brought in and be part of the family. And notice that they burned the city. There's a lot of people who have a hard time saying, why would God destroy the city? What kind of a person is he? I thought he was a God of love. God destroyed a lot of times in the, in the Old Testament. Why? Because he didn't want his children to be affected. And so when we have things in our lives that are keeping us back from following God, we need to cut them off. We need to destroy them to get them out so that they no longer hold us back from following the Lord. These commandments are not new that he gives us but to follow his way and that we're to trust him solely for his name's sake and that he takes care of those who follow him and he did so. He took care of Rahab but then he also got rid of those and there's a lot of people today who have a hard time believing that God will judge the world and send people to hell. But this is the story. This past week we had a beautiful Bible study on the end of times. And we talked about Revelations 20 and 21. It's in there. The Bible says to us that those who are written in the Lamb, Jesus Christ, book of life, will have eternal life and live forever with him. And then there's going to be, a, and those who are not in there, there's a second book of people who will be judged before what they have done. And they will actually pay the price for what they have done in sin. And that no one escapes. This is the fallacy of our world today. They think they can escape. But God is perpetually at war with sin and he hates it. And he will judge those who continue to live in that and reject his son, Jesus Christ. And it's tragic that we have people in this world, ministers of the gospel, 
proclaiming another gospel that is not true and found in our scriptures. This last week, in fact, yesterday, on my phone, there it was. I didn't know this, but the minister of the largest Presbyterian church and second largest church in America, Fifth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, Illinois. From the pulpit, she said, Christianity is not the only way to be saved. Well, guess what? I guess she threw out John's gospel because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what that says. And I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how many people are in your church. And I don't care how big you are. The Bible says. No other name. Under heaven. Where we can be saved. Are you kidding me? And yet this is the gospel that is being proclaimed. Oh my gosh. I came unglued. It's so wrong. This is the one who saved Rahab. This is the one who saved Joshua and the people of Israel. God only loves those who are saved, who trust him with their hearts. His purposes are not random. They're sure and true. For those who wait upon the Lord shall receive their strength. Obedience matters to God. And we know that as Christians, we are in the book of life that Christ has died by his blood and we are sure that we're going to heaven. But we are also going to be rewarded by the good things we've done. He was going to give us crowns according to what we have done on this earth. That's what it says in Revelation. And for those who just depend on their good works and how to, they're going to go to the lake of fire, the Bible says. Because they haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, God's precious and only son. And here, God makes that known in the Old Testament, where he'll wipe out a whole city like Jericho because of its sin, because of its rejection of God. And that we need to persevere as Christians. We need to follow our Lord and trust him fully. It means perseverant. I know it's so easy sometimes. David said it in the psalm. Fret not thyself against all evildoers. When you see evil getting ahead, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of that. And we need to work at stopping it. Yes. And the word says, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due time, you will reap if you faint not. We don't need to give in. We don't need to give up. We need to endure and trust Christ. And we will have the victory. And we need to recognize that this is not just the story. It doesn't end here. In fact, folks, with Rahab, there's a bigger story. It's a story of redemption. Of God working through that little girl. Rahab is mentioned in Matthew's gospel and also in Hebrews. But in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 1 verse 5, because Rahab, this convert, becomes the mother of Boaz, 
who marries Ruth. That makes Rahab the great, great, great grandmother of King David. And an important figure in the lineage of Jesus Christ the Savior. And Matthew really highlights that. Because of her faith. Because of the lineage that she, from her seed, God used to bring salvation to the world. And that we are as good soldiers of the cross. We are to fight the battle in Jesus, the captain of our faith, and gain the victory. That we are to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we take every thought captive to the will of Jesus Christ. We make, throw the things out of our life that are holding us back and follow him. That's being a good shoulder of the cross. There's an interesting story coming out of Haiti. A man bought a house from a very wicked man for $2,000. He really couldn't afford it, but he paid the full price. And when the seller came back a few days later and said, I want to buy it back from you for $500, this is the way he was flim-flamming him. The man said, no. And when they had made and brokered the deal for the buying of his house, the wicked one said, I want to just have one spot on this house to remember. I want to put this nail right in front in your door. And so the owner agreed. And then when he wouldn't sell back the house for $500, the wicked man went out and found the carcass of a dead dog. And he hung it on that nail. And every day he would bring disgusting things to hang on that nail. To try to break the back of that man who wanted to do right and bought the house outright. And get him to sell it for $500. Well, folks, that wicked man is Satan. And there are things that he will try to take and make you Feel as he accuses you. Maybe it's something that you did in the past. Or something that's going inside you right now. He wants to hang the garbage on you. To make you feel. That you're unworthy. That you don't deserve Christ. And let me tell you something. None of us do. It's totally by grace. And no matter what he tries to hang on you, whatever wall he tries to build inside your heart, don't buy it. Instead, use these words. Devil, tear down that wall. You have no right on my life because I'm free in Jesus Christ to enter the promised land. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for these powerful words that you give us in, the, in Joshua. Help us, Lord, never to give up the fight. 
Help us always to look to you, the author and finisher and leader and captain of our faith journey, who spilled his blood and died for us and gives us eternal life, and that we don't throw in the towel. (laughs) But every time we look upon you and follow your lead, we get stronger and more powerful, and that we watch you knock down the walls. We watch you demolish all those arguments that Satan throws at it, and that we watch you give us the victory in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to receive the benediction, and we'll sing our closing song. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood.